0: That was a very gracious and kind introduction. Thank you, Chuck. (laughs) And it is a joy uh, to be with you and to think back over the years uh, of how the Lord has blessed uh, this congregation. And and it's a pleasure for me to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, I'll just add uh, to what Chuck said that uh, Crosstown Ministry is a part of Mission to North America. And we function under it uh, through the uh, New City Network which Randy uh, Neighbors uh, leads. And it's through that auspices that we are br- uh, bringing the gathering uh, to uh, Las Cruces. And we'd love to ha- have many of you there. If you c- had to choose one thing, uh, come Saturday morning uh, to uh, How to Create a Servant Ministry in Your Congregation. Randy's going to spend a couple of hours working on on that. I think I'll, that's all I want to say about that. I, I, I want to... Uh, Uh, talk to you about wisdom today, something I've been thinking about. And the background for this message is uh, James chapter 3, verse 17, which says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, I'm not going to use this text. Uh, I'm not preaching on this text, but I wanted it in the back of your mind. I wanted you to think about the fact that wisdom is a gift that comes down from heaven. And and then you you stop and you start focusing on the things that result from wisdom or what that brings into our life. And you realize that wisdom is a pretty complicated thing. Uh, It's complex. So what I'm going to try to do this morning is uh, tell you what it's not, uh, give you my basic definition of what it is, and then tell you how to get it. So let's pray. Lord, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Now over the Christmas holidays, Susan and I had the uh, incredible privilege of celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary in Hawaii through the generous gifts of our children. Uh, And a friend who had a condo 100 yards right off of the uh, ocean. Uh, And uh, it was there uh, in that condo uh, in Hawaii that uh, while we were there, a great storm came up. And just like you've all heard about, in fact, we've never been to Hawaii. You've probably all been to Hawaii and know all about this. Uh, But uh, these huge waves came in. Uh, They were 10, 15, 20 feet high waves. Now, they weren't the 30 and 40 foot waves that the surfers do, but nevertheless, they were huge waves, and the sea was roaring, just like the scripture says. I, I've never experienced that. I'm a sailor, I love the water, uh, and I'd never heard the sea roar, and so I wanted to be out there. I wanted to go out there and get right in the middle of this and experience the power of the waves. And so I go out there, I take my camera with me, and and being a very wise seaman, having read many stories about the ocean and so forth, I noticed where the high water mark was uh, on the tide, and I stood there for 15 or 20 minutes, and I looked out uh, to see... uh, you know, how the waves were breaking and so forth and I was caught up in all that and I saw that I was perfectly safe here and I saw this really nice rock about three feet high uh, just just a couple of feet uh, in front of that uh, of me and I thought this will be great, I'll stand up there, I'll get some great pictures uh, of these waves and experience the water and so I went and I put my shoes down on the rock and I got up there and I'm just taking pictures and having a wonderful time and I noticed over uh, to my left that that there was this big rock and the waves were hitting it and water was spewing up a hundred feet in the air. And I thought, oh, i got to get a picture of that. So I'm standing there like this, taking a picture of it, when all of a sudden out of my peripheral vision, I see a wall coming at me. And I turn in time to see that it's coming right straight at me. And I reach down to grab my shoes and turn around real quick and it crashes right in front of that rock and goes over me and I'm running through the wave and, and not losing my, trying to not lose my shoes and my camera and, and all these things and I make it to the top of the beach and I realize that my camera was on video and it was recording all this. So, uh, and I hear myself going, <laughs> like that, you know, because I'm thinking that wave was that mi- was forming two miles out there said to his fellow waves something like this: "Watch this! I'm going to give that fool up there an introduction to his sermon." Wisdom is a forgotten way of thinking. We are filled with foolishness. When we are wise, Scripture says we are fools. And the other side of it is that those that we think are fools, the Scripture says are wise. Those who are fools for Christ, for example, are wise. Now some of you who are very conservative are already thinking in the back of your mind, you have a fool in mind. And those of you who are on the more progressive side, over a little bit, you have another fool in mind. That's the complexity of, of wisdom. Wisdom is a path that has to be, has to be walked. Uh, day by day, walked in humility and in faith. Wisdom is not a set of good principles Rules, morality, right behavior, but it is never less than these things. If you want wisdom, you go to the scriptures and you read. And there you discern something very different from the surrounding culture that we live in. Something C.S. Lewis nailed in 1940s when he said, The ancients saw creation as a power struggle. Choice or chaos versus order, one God versus another, randomness versus conflict. But the sages of Scripture, the wise of Scripture, saw something of beauty. So in Psalm 104 104, 24, we read, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all, the earth is full of your creatures. In this psalm and in many other places where we read about God's wisdom, what we see is God delighting. We see God enjoying. We, got, we see God the artist. Because you see, all of creation contains His wisdom. It's built right into the fabric of the creation. And it reveals to us the God of wisdom. God asked Job, where were you when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Job is not a book meant for comfort. It's a book about the structure of wisdom. A path where you have to put one foot in front of another, step by step, right, left, right, left, on the path that God has set for you, the path that He has put you on. And you have to walk that path no matter what you have to face as you walk along that path. No matter what happens, no, no matter what circumstances come in this life, knowing this, that the Creator of all things is good and beautiful and true. And this is the shape of true self-awareness. We recognize ourselves in relationship to wisdom, to the God of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom, the, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, that certainly is speaking about the almighty power of God. It's certainly talking about the awe and reverence and respect that we have for Him. But there's something else. It also is speaking to the fact that we do not want to lose Him. We do not want Him out of our life. We want to walk with Him. We want Him to walk with us on the path that He has determined for us. And it's in those moments... When I don't feel Him, when I don't know if He's there or not, that I'm tempted like Job's wife to say, if you have any integrity at all, curse God and die. Where is God anyway? When He is absent and we lose Him for a time, it's then that true fear grips our heart. The Scriptures are filled with this and, and, and it's complex. It's not always easy to figure out. Complex patterns of wisdom all over the Scripture, paradoxical thoughts, which are intended to give us some direction and guidance as we walk our way through this path. One Scripture says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And right next to it, it says, answer a fool according to his folly. I mean, I could come up with a hundred of these. Tim Keller uh, makes a comment. He makes this point. Uh, by by, by, by saying this, fighting about morality obscures the lack of consensus about wisdom. Wisdom is more than just behavior or words or rules or authority. Moral standards don't address all of our problems. The rules can never cover all the situations of life. It's not morality, but wisdom that is needed today. And without wisdom you will make an absolute mess of your life. So when I read Proverbs chapter 8 it's clear that wisdom is more important than anything greater than all circumstances the only way to flourish few of us in our life uh, get our circumstances where we want them and none of us keep them there. It is wisdom that is more valuable because wisdom is not the same thing as our pursuit of more rules, better rules, or my own thinking. My own thinking happens to be better than yours. It's not legalism and it's not relativism. Scripture says you're on a path, you're walking on a path. And on this side, To keep you on that path is the perfect, beautiful law of God. And that reveals to us the essential aspects of who He is and of His character. And over here, on this side of the path, are all the stories and parables and uh, examples uh, of how to live. And between those two things, you see, those two things aren't like this, grinding you up. On the path. They're separate. And you might be over here, and I might be over here. We're on the same path. You might be down here, uh, where it's really smooth and going well, and I might be back here in the rocks, and we're on the same path. And God uses that very thing. That we might call to each other and say, God is true. God is good. He hasn't forgotten you. Keep walking. Keep going down the path. We know people who have no wisdom, but they're powerful, and wealthy, and immoral. Everyone knows being unethical is self-defeating, everyone at least says that. Uh, and, and yet with the best of ethical intentions, you can ruin someone's life. You, you, you can ruin someone's life uh, with the best of ethics because you don't know the dynamics of poverty, or of alienation, or the circumstances, or the situations that they're living in. Wisdom is complex. It's not enough to be a good person. You have to be a person of wisdom. This is also true of the frequency of wisdom. Knowledge is not enough. Today we have to contend with false facts, individual assertions proclaimed as true and spoken whispered, the Bible says, as delicious morsels. Secular thinking affects everything and by secular thinking I mean specifically people who live in this moment only. Who who think that this is all there is. That there isn't anything beyond this moment. They live only in eminence and the result is discontentment. And in their discontentment, they try even harder to become contented. And they can't because they're locked into this moment. They see no transcendence whatsoever. They do not see the contentment that God has given. The wisdom of God. That's affected our marriages, our jobs, our buying and selling, uh, our our taking risks or playing it safe. Uh, You see, the rules just don't cover it. Science has no answer. Authority is powerless. Can operate properly. So, how do I live if I don't have w- the wisdom I need? We are perishing without wisdom. Now, I, I thought of a number of illustrations of this. In fact, I wrote down about 12 right away. But I'm a New Mexican, so here's a New Mexican illustration Kit Carson. Now, the minute I say Kit Carson, some of you think, ah, yes, the killer. Uh, some of you think the pathfinder. Some of you think uh, uh, the eye-for-eye uh, eye, uh, uh, type of, uh, of person. I think of a young boy who grew up in the Scottish Presbyterian tradition. <laughs> but I did want to know uh, more about the removal of the Navajo from New Mexico to the Texas-New Mexico border. So, I, so Susan and I drove up to Fort Defiance. Uh, to to learn more about this story, what what went on there. And we drove around. We couldn't even find the fort. Uh, And so I went to the post office. It's Saturday. I don't know why I went to the post office. There's one man there, and he's getting his mail. And I said, excuse me, sir, could you help me? I'm trying to find Fort Defiance and a little bit more about the story here of the removal of the Navajos. He looks at me. stands up, and he looks at me up and down. He's a Navajo man. And he says... How much time do you have? I said, all day. He said, come with me. So we go out, and he spent the day telling me the stories. Now this man is a lawyer. He challenged the Arizona Bar and passed. He sits at the Arizona Bar, and he sits at the Federal Bar, and he's also a Navajo uh, indigenous lawyer. He's a very keen man, very sharp. And so uh, after he's told stories, showed us the old fort, showed us where the camps were, uh, and so forth, I asked him the question. I said, what do you think about Kit Carson? He says, ah, you people have it wrong. <laughs> Those white guys. <laughs> <laughs> you have it wrong. He was a very wise man. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well... When he was ordered as the commander of the New Mexico militia to go and round up the Navajo, he had absolute permission to annihilate the Navajo. Everybody was sick of the Navajo problem. Just go and wipe them off the face of the earth. He had the, he had the power, he had the, he had the ability, he had, you know, he had all that he needed to do that, but he didn't do that. He sent scouts ahead. And he said to, and to every village, he said, uh, Kit Carson and the entire New Mexico army will be here next Tuesday. You might want to take note of that. And, uh, and he did that with every single village. And so when he got to the village, of course, they were gone. So he knocked down all their houses, he burned all their crops, and he killed all their animals. And he did that for a year. And and then he sent out his scouts again and he said to them, if you are hungry and you are cold and you need safety, come to Fort Defiance and I personally will guarantee your safety. And they began to come in. And he kept his word and no one died at Fort Defiance. The Navajo lawyer said to me, do you see? He was a very wise man. And it just highlighted for me the complexity of wisdom. Here's my definition. Very basic. Becoming competent with regard to the realities of this life. Wise, the wise have the knowledge and they have the moral moral character. Of course, those things are given. They have the heart to do the right thing, even when the rules don't apply or cover the situation. They are competent with regard to the realities of life. And that competency allows them to make two observations. They can see things how they, re- how they really are. They they can see the fallenness and corruption of the world around them and they can see in that the standard that God has set, the, the creation order that God has given. And they can make a distinction. So they can see it and they can make a distinction. And so because they can make distinctions, they know what to do. They know what is right versus what is wrong. This allows wisdom to conform our soul to the reality of a fallen world. The wise do not try to change the world to accommodate themselves, their own soul, their own being. This is the difference between a pathway that must be walked and a door. Wisdom is not a door. There's the door, go through it and you will be smart. You'll know how to live. Listen, go down and buy this book right here. Read this book and you'll know exactly what to do. Your life will change. Everything will be good for you after this. No. No, the Bible says wisdom is a path. A door is the world's view, secret knowledge uh, uh, of many varieties, including science and spirituality. No. No. Wisdom is a path, a long, persevering, patient quest. The wise men of old understood the cardinal problem of life as how do I conform my soul to reality and the solution is wisdom. Here is the world. I need to see how it works and then live in accordance to it. Not in accommodation to it, in accordance to it. Wisdom is conforming my being, my soul, with the reality around me, even when it's tough, even when I don't like it. Magic and today's science see the cardinal problem is how do I subdue reality to the wishes of my soul? How do we change the world Uh, the way I want it to be changed? You see, I'll figure it out, I I know what to do, and uh, I know the right techniques uh, in order to accomplish it. You join with me, we'll form a power group, and we'll change the world! We'll make it better! Now, I'm 70, and I'm a 60s guy, and we've been saying that every decade of my life. We're going to change the world! We're going to make it better. Do you see how this has seeped into the church? How Christians are saying, listen, we'll change the world. We'll form together. We'll do it according to the way we think it should be done. It's not wisdom. The result is we've lost wisdom. The solution that is always put forward is some kind of technique. You know, I I think if I had a better app on my phone, I could change the world. They they just haven't come up with the right one yet. You know, how to change the world. Siri, no. Okay, we've lost wisdom. How do we regain it? How do we get it back? Well, the cool thing is that the the Bible gives us a great clue on how to get wisdom. (laughs) More than a clue. It it tells us. And it's found in the poetry. It's found in the poetry of the Bible. So whether you're reading the book of Ruth, or the Psalms, or the Proverbs, or sections of Daniel, or the book of Revelation, and you see that poetry, wisdom is presented to us uh, in in female and male qualities. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? That wisdom is presented as she says to do this in the Proverbs. And, and it's presented other words uh, where wisdom is presented as he does these things. Why are these feminine and masculine Uh, qualities presented. What is going on in this? You know, normally it's a beautiful presentation and and it kind of gets you at the emotional level. Wisdom always reaches for your emotions because that's where the relationship lies. Ooh, there's the clue. So whether it's, uh, you The, these emotions, which God has created and provokes in us anger or fear or lust or or uh, uh, any of the other emotions are, got out of my head, <laughs> God is provoking these things, and we should ask why what 's going on here what 's the wisdom here? Well, what if poetry isn 't just this beautiful expression of understanding and desire and, and ability and so forth. What if wisdom is actually a person? There's the clue. Wisdom spoken of in Proverbs 3 13 and following, in other places. Uh, you, you You can just find this all over the place. What if it's a person who could describe all the complexities? who has experienced all the complexities, who uh, knows uh, exactly where they lead and how they work, uh, and uh, one who has walked the path and and can express the suffering that goes with conforming to the realities of a broken world and, or maybe I should even say but, can also change it to conform to the needs of his soul. What if there's a person who can bring these two things together? A person who can reconcile these two things in himself. Hmm. Are you getting the clue? Augur. Proverbs 30. 1 through 4. Son of Jackie. Called uh, the oracle. Now, oracle has lots of different possible interpretations. I'm just taking it as the wise man. Or... Augur the wise man. He asks this very question. The very question I'm raising. Could it be a person? The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. We have to have Augur's perspective. He says, I'm in the valley. I can't see. I can't see what's around the next bend. I'm in the valley and it's gotten a little rough here. There's a lot of cactus here. And I, sometimes I stray off the path and I end up with them in my legs or wherever. I, can't, I don't know what to do. I'm in the midst of a battle and the din and the dust has made it so that I don't even know how to command myself, let alone my family or, my, or the hundred that are under me. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which way to send them. I need an eye in the sky. I need somebody who sees it all. Somebody who's come down and can tell me about it. And can say, do this. Go this way. Follow me. So we get... So Augur says, what's his name? And Isaiah answers him. Hundreds of years later. And Isaiah is speaking to Augur. And he says, here's his name. He's the Wonderful Counselor. He's the Mighty God. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Eternal Father. Whoa. Well, that's cool. Then in John chapter 3, Jesus raises the question. Nicodemus has come to him, trying to figure all this out, seeking wisdom. And Jesus claims in verses 9 through 15 augurs this very passage proverbs 30 for himself the man who has seen it all truly i'm telling you the truth i say to you we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony if i have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can you believe it believe if i tell you heavenly things no No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This is stunning. (laughs) This is absolutely amazing. I've spent most of my life and I didn't connect those two passages together. Here they are speaking across the ages. Augur, speaking to Isaiah. Isaiah speaking back to Augur. Jesus speaking to them both and saying, I am the man. He's audacious. It's astounding and beautiful. The wise talking to each other and the man revealed who has seen and experienced it all. There is a man who can remove the curse and the brokenness of a corrupted reality. There is a man, in order to do that, who must be lifted up. A son who must be lifted up. And Jesus says, you'll know that man because Moses showed him to us. He's the man who will be lifted up in the wilderness. And when you turn to him and look to him, you'll be healed. Jesus is the ultimate. Jesus says wisdom comes by the cross. And that is the ultimate beginning. The ultimate place of wisdom. Jesus is the ultimate innocent man of sorrows. Suffering as the perfect substitute in the place of his people. Removing the curse by taking the curse upon himself. Every aspect of suffering will be laid on him. Your broken heart your child that ran off and, and denied Christ, your, your cancer, your, your, your uh, disappointments, your disac- every single one of them, no matter how small or how large, have been laid on Him at the cross. And He has dealt with them all. He knows the path that you are walking. He has walked that path. This is God's wisdom. His cross ends suffering. His cross and His death and burial ends death. Do you believe that? Then walk the path. Death ends corruption and death itself, His death, At the cross, so that the king, he the king, will never have to lay on his people the judgment of sin, but deliver us from it. So you're walking the path and you're in the midst of it, and you remember, he walked this path, and he's calling to me to follow him. He suffered with us until sin was cut off. The curse removed. He suffered for us, becoming sin, to satisfy the holy wrath and uh, judgment of God and justify us to God and justify God to us. Then He suffered to us. And this is the reality that was completely altered in His resurrection when He created a new order, a new creation. Do you see how He has brought these two things together? He arose from the dead and altered the creation so we could live as whole beings. My soul is satisfied in Him. And the reality of this world has been changed by Him. You know, I don't don't call myself an evangelical. I don't use that word. And this is the reason. Not because of my theology, but because of wisdom. Jesus Christ, called me to follow him on the path of wisdom. I'm a follower of Jesus. And he says, if you come to me at my cross and and at my resurrection, you're united to me. One hundred and seventy times in the New Testament, I am defined and you are defined as his followers. You are in Christ. You are in him. You are in the Lord. You have been united to Him in His wisdom so that you know how to live. You know how to walk. I'm in Christ. This is the wisdom of the cross and the resurrection. I'm in the one who not only suffered in my place, but now rose from the dead so that I can live. And He has ascended. The one who descended is now ascended. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. He's now ascended and he's ruling at the right hand of the Father and he knows my name. And I know his. Wisdom is found in the man named Jesus. You will never have wisdom if you don't have Augur's question. You will never have wisdom without the true wise man, Jesus. Wise men saw in the creation the hand of God and they followed the star and they came to Him and they bowed their knee and they gave Him all that they had. And, he, and they in return received wisdom. They were united to wisdom. Now you come. You bow your knee and you give Him all that you have. And you will receive His wisdom. You will walk with wisdom. In wisdom. The wisdom that comes down from heaven... To live righteous and holy lives in 2017. This is, a, this is good news. Happy New Year. Lives filled with peace, gentleness, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Oh, my brothers and sisters, may Lord God, Jesus Christ, grant you faith to believe it. Amen.